0: source to pay rfi rfp procure to pay goods receipt accounts payable it's easy to get lost in procurement jargon but at the end of the day it's all just about buying better and that's what i try to help you with here at pure procurement Hey, everybody, and welcome to Pure Procurement, the show where we discuss procurement technology and how it can create value for your business. We've got another source-to-pay office hours format today, so I'm looking forward to getting into the meat of your questions, uh, but before we do that, I wanted to just uh, welcome James again to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for keeping the, the trains run on time.
1: How's, uh, how's How are things? good i'm actually on vacation this week so thank you for uh getting me out of bed so we could record this (laughs) you're welcome i'm always one to uh disrespect people's vacations yeah (laughs) not (laughs) no perfectly fine uh it, it keeps me keeps me moving through the day so appreciate it
0: and how are you uh finding your uh procurement learning journey so far
1: Slow. Uh, I am. I am not a fast learner, but I appreciate your patience and uh, giving me the opportunity to learn. So thanks for dragging me along. (laughs) Thanks for being there, James.
0: Uh, All right. So what we'll do today is just a first part, which I'll call a fundamental framework that I want to go over uh, with you guys because listening to the first episode over again, uh, I realized that I was referring to the procurement value chain concept. Uh, that um, that I use quite frequently in my work, but that uh, may not be super clear for everyone. So I thought I would spend a bit of time on that before we do anything else. And then we've got about, what, four questions lined up, James? Four questions, correct. Perfect. So we'll get into those questions uh, afterwards. And so uh, that's the goal of the episode, the plan for today, and hopefully we'll give you some tangible, actionable value that you can bring into your work uh, right after listening. So, the procurement value chain, what is that? So I define that as the set of activities and processes end-to-end uh, that procurement in their operations need to execute to generate value for the business. So it all kind of is tied into uh, Michael Porter's uh, value chain concept, right? So if you've gone to business school or have uh, are familiar with Mr. Porter's work, he's a professor at Harvard Business School. And I want to say sometime in the 80s, came out with the value chain concept, which essentially splits a business activity, businesses activities into two different streams, primary activities and secondary activities. The primary activities are often what's referred to as your core business. So it's the the activities that are generating value for your customers and on which you're able to charge a margin uh, that eventually ends up being your profit right And support activities is everything that needs to happen to support that work. So whether it be accounting, uh, procurement, IT, um, usually those types of, of functions are support functions in every type of business, whether regardless of the industry. So that's in essence the, the, the value chain concept, the porter value chain concept for the, for the overall business. And all I've done is take that concept and, and bring it a level down, into procurement. So I asked myself, okay, what in the procurement function, which yes, is a support function, but if we look at it with its own value chain, uh, what are the primary activities that we do in procurement? And then what are the secondary activities? And so the primary activities that I referred to last week are really centered around spend analysis, spend analytics, uh, sourcing and intake management, uh, contract management or contract lifecycle management procure a receipt or, or purchasing uh, accounts payable and then supplier relationship management uh, that kind of is done throughout that whole uh, that whole value chain as well. And so whenever I'm speaking about processes or applications, I'm always looking at it through that lens and, and, and coming and uh, tying it back to that framework, right? So under each of those uh, process groups, so sourcing, contract management. There's a number of processes, right? So in sourcing, I might be managing uh, sourcing requests. I might be managing my sourcing pipeline. Uh, I might be managing my sourcing projects. Uh, and, and there's a, there's evaluation, there's uh, awards. And so those are all processes that, that tie into that uh, procurement value chain. And if you'd like more detail, I posted on this uh, on LinkedIn recently, and have it in my featured section on my profile as well and so as you're following along with the podcast uh, having that value chain in mind uh, it is a good idea because it's a it's essentially it'll be our common language as we move through the different types of questions that you may ask so i thought we'd spend a bit of time on that that's the procurement value chain and the 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 reason I tie into that is that it gives us a a hierarchy, a business process hierarchy, a common language, and then we could actually get into the nuts and bolts of of how to optimize those different portions. So, all right. Having said that, let's jump into some questions.
1: Uh, James, would you do do us the honor of, of reading the first one out? Of course. Jason asks how can I optimize my supplier due diligence process? I'm doing it all manually now, and there's got to be a better way.
0: Yeah, so Jason, thanks for your question. Um, so let's just define supplier due diligence process uh, first off. So if I go back to the, the framework I was just referring, I'd see that in my supplier relationship management um, process group where you know, as I'm onboarding vendors, either for a sourcing project, for a contract, for transactions in my purchasing processes, uh, I wanna do due diligence on this supplier to manage risk, right? To ensure that I'm minimizing risk uh, in doing business with the supplier, right? So there's different types of risks. There might be financial risk, operational risk, uh, i might have information security and and data privacy compliance requirements that i want to check for so there's a number of, of requirements that uh, or information that i need to be able to evaluate the risk uh, associated to dealing with a given supplier uh, and so i would i would check on that in my supplier due diligence process to make sure that we give ourselves a thumbs up uh, in going ahead with with that supplier to um, to do business with them and that if there are any risks, we know about them, we either mitigate them with contractual clauses or uh, as part of the, the onboarding process, or uh, we reject the supplier, right? We, we, we decide to not go ahead uh, given the risks that's associated with, with dealing with that supplier. So a very important process to making sure that, um, to making sure that you don't have uh, an unreasonable risk in dealing with a third party. Uh, and so the first the first thing you're going to want to do is based on your geography, determine what those requirements are, right? So you may have internal requirements within your business based on legal or internal controls uh, departments that that want to uh, have input into the requirements that, that you're giving yourself as an organization. And then you might have external requirements as well, which it might be it might come from a, a governmental body where, you know, with JDPR, for example, uh, information security and data privacy compliance is, is dictated by the law, and so you want to make sure that you're respecting that law and dealing with your suppliers, right? So you have these that, that dichotomy to take into consideration. And once you've established those requirements, you have to ask yourself how you can execute, right? So if we go back to Jason's question, he was mentioning that he's currently doing it uh, doing it himself, right? The, the old DIY method, where he's going on uh, in the longer form of the question. He was telling me how he's going on uh, different governmental websites and, and different databases uh, to collect information. He's getting forms from the supplier as well, and, and this is all very labor-intensive, and so taking up a lot of his time. Uh, that's definitely where you want to start because you want to make sure that you walk before you run or you, you do stuff manually before you automate it. And so doing it in that method will make sure that you have the proper requirements, uh, that, that uh, you know what the data sources are and and what you want that process to look like. And after that there's two other methods that I've seen to be able to, to increase the um, the performance of that process. The first one is what I'll call the tool or the network approach. And the second one is Business Process Outsourcing, or BPO. So the first one, it's really looking at uh, tools to help you automate this process, right? So they can usually be called third-party risk management tools, uh, supplier risk tools within a supplier relationship management module or suite. Um, And we've also got another option, which is market intelligence tools. Um, So one of them that I've I've used in the past is uh, Procurement IQ. Uh, so those are the types of tools that you can look at for the, the, the network approach. And the reason I call it a network approach is that you're um, leveraging the network effect. So uh, other folks that are also buying into this solution or this platform and the information that's being gathered, gathered centrally by the vendor or the provider to help in your due diligence process. So instead of, Jason, having to go manually gather that information every time you have a new supplier instead you know you go through one of these tools or one of these uh, vendors and they systematically gather that information for all vendors in their database and then their customers you can kind of go tap into the vendors uh, the vendor files that you need when you need them and the information is is available uh, when you need it so Definitely a cost associated there. Um, the, the things you need to be careful about is, is really having those requirements clear at the beginning because different tools, depending on where they're based out of, uh, might not support your regional requirements. Uh, and so that's something you, to, to take into consideration if you go down that path. But it's certainly something that can that can get you easily eighty percent of the way there, right? So it might be a network approach supplemented by a couple do do it yourself steps. And if you're able to do that with a a, a defined predefined workflow where you say we gather general information first, bank account information, we check for Uh, GDPR compliance and then we check for you know financial uh, risk you increasingly you put the intensive activities or the the high effort activities on your part at the end of the process and dependent on gating uh, that you can uh, you can get from that automated tool in those those other databases then you're you're only going to do the high effort activities if you've cleared all the the automated uh, checks first right so you can do it that way to, to optimize the process as well. And then the second or the third option I was mentioning is, is business process outsourcing, right? So that's essentially the do-it-yourself approach, but you you contract it out to a partner who's going to do it for you uh, as you uh, onboard vendors and then come back to you for different control points or approvals, uh, and so you're not doing it internally. And that also has a cost, but sometimes that cost can be less than doing it in-house if you're using a Vendor that does this for a living, right? That that's their core business is is uh, doing um, supplier due diligence processes and executing them. So that's how I would uh, the tools I would give you, Jason, to think about this problem. Um, of course, some of them have dollar signs attached to them. Uh, some of them are not perfect as well. So you may have to to use a combination of of those different uh, methods. Uh, but in there lies the 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 tools. Um, to think about optimizing the supplier due diligence process. So I hope that helps. uh, And um, we can move on to
1: the second question here. Well, the second question also appears to be from Jason. And how can I best leverage my existing office tools to support our procurement processes? What can I do here and now with Microsoft Office to get started on my procurement tech journey?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. And and we kind of see... See a theme with uh, Jason's questions, right? How can I do more with with the same amount of tools? And I was referring to that last week as well, right? Uh, every time we we look at a process and optimizing it, it's always the the answer we're looking for is always how can I do more with the same amount of resources? And so I think this is a great a great starting point for a lot of organizations where they may be smaller to medium businesses, or the procurement department's fairly new, and they just want to get started on on optimizing their processes and doing continuous improvement uh, instead of uh, having to wait to implement a tool, uh, and which can be lengthy, and you need budgets and and all this good stuff. So, the way I think about that is implementing process management with the use of Microsoft Office tools. So, uh, Visio, and if you don't have Visio or if Visio is too complicated, then just in PowerPoint, right? Uh, But bringing that process management culture into your procurement department will not only do a lot of good in the immediate, but it also prepare your organization for when you eventually want to put tools in place, because most of the tools in the procurement space are process-driven. And so the, the, the more intimate you are with your processes, the better performance you're going to get out of any tool you end up implementing. So what do I mean by process management? I mean putting in place a common nomenclature for modeling a process. So it could be on one slide in PowerPoint, right, or one page in Visio, it can be very simple. Where you have a, uh, a symbol for a trigger action, you have a symbol for an activity, a manual activity, a, uh, a symbol for a system activity that that requires user input, a symbol for a, an automated system activity, an end symbol, and uh, you know a decision, a decision symbol, yes or no, or, or different decisions, cases that that would need to. Uh, to be considered during your process, and if you if you need um, inspiration, you can look at the uh, BPMN uh, nomenclature or EPC nomenclature. Those are very detailed nomenclatures, and then you just take a subset of uh, the. Um, symbols in those nomenclatures for for business process modeling and uh, you can go from there right so you want to keep it as simple as possible uh, but no simpler because the goal is to have a common language a common modeling language amongst the folks that you're doing process management with and so you want it you want it to keep it simple right bpmn and epc are really uh, developed uh, so that you can automate a business process that's been modeled. So that's a whole other level of maturity. Um, and so you don't necessarily need to worry about that if you are if you just have Microsoft Office tools. But in all, in all cases, establish that common language, that common nomenclature. And then the second piece is establishing a common uh, business process hierarchy or value chain. So it goes back to what I was saying at the opening, right? If you have seven blocks, seven process groups that are sourcing, spend uh, spend analysis, contract management, purchasing, accounts payable, supplier relationship management, and that's what your procurement department does. That's the scope of your procurement department. Then that is your uh, common business process hierarchy. And then every sub-process within those process groups, you're going to come and tie them them to um, those six or seven blocks I just mentioned, right? So, just being clear on okay this you know when we conceptually model uh, our procurement organization and the process that it executes these are the seven the seven pieces that that we're going to tie our process models into And then you model your processes, right? So depending on what you're trying to improve, doesn't have you don't have to model everything at once. You can start progressively based on you know where you see an opportunity, or or if I'm if I'm to piggyback on uh, Jason's earlier question, if he's wanting to optimize his supplier due diligence process, maybe he starts there, right? So he opens up PowerPoint, he creates a, a nomenclature, a common nomenclature, and a business process hierarchy. And as we said, S, uh, supplier due diligence ties into supplier relationship management. So I'm going to start with that process first. What do we actually do today in our current state for supplier due diligence? Oh, I go on this site, I grab these forms, I grab this information, I put everything in an Excel file, then we save it on this shared drive, and um, the head of procurement comes in and signs off on the file, and then we lock it uh in SharePoint, something like that, right? So that'd be your as-is process. And then you'll look at it together, brainstorm on how you can optimize that process and uh, make changes, right? And then as you make changes on the model, you'll have both a current state model and a future state model. And you'll be able to say, okay, what do we need to do to get from the first one to the second one? Uh, does it require uh, system configuration? Do we need to reach out to IT? And then you'll you'll have a list of action items uh, to improve that process, and you can execute on that list of action items. Uh, and then as you get to to more granular processes, that format in PowerPoint's probably not the best. You probably want to get to a work instruction. So a work instruction is really really just a you know a, a templated Word document where with you have the the steps. Uh, to execute a given process and print screens of any files or applications, uh, and and what buttons need to be pressed or what information needs to be entered to execute those those uh, those steps uh, of the process within within the application or, or or just in general, right? So, it's it's much more detailed than a process, and there are applications out there. I believe they're in Windows, if I'm not mistaken. There's something called Screen Recorder, and you can actually Turn it on, start clicking and, and entering information in an application or you know in an Excel file, and it'll capture what you are doing. And uh, when you press stop, it, it generates a document with everything that you did, and then you can go and edit it and add more information manually if if you need to. So that's the super cheap super cheap solution to that problem. Otherwise, I know there's other solutions out there like Enable Now um, and certainly others that. Um, can record your screen and output a work instruction that you can then edit and and um, adapt to you know the business rules you want to put in there or the logic the person needs to have when deciding how to carry on with the process or take a certain decision. So that's what I would do. Uh, with with Microsoft Office tools to to get myself in a continuous improvement mindset and to support the, the process the procurement process as well right and if you keep those all in a central drive and you educate your team on you know essentially how to talk that language um, you're gonna get a lot of benefit from it right and then you could you could get a, get a bit more creative with Microsoft Forms uh, central mailboxes in your Outlook uh, and then if I allow myself to go outside the the Microsoft Office uh, suite uh, scope. You could look at Zapier, which is uh, or Notion, which are are free tools around task automation and and uh, and workflows that can tie into Microsoft Office and aren't aren't very expensive at all and allow you to, to automate certain uh, certain tasks and, and processes as well, right? Whether it be you know when when we send an email to X address, uh, notify you know copy the attachments and put them in a, a shared drive, for example, right? Like d- different tasks like that that you might be able to automate. So tools are not the most important piece, right? Um, as as you'll have guessed from my, my rant on this question, <laughs> uh, the process enabled by tools is what's important. And so you'll find that if you start thinking in process, you'll start to feel like you're looking at, you know, through the matrix um, and that you can, you see where things are breaking down, why they're breaking down. Um, one thing I didn't mention is is the swim lane diagram, right So as you as you modeled in PowerPoint, you can also integrate swim lanes uh, into your modeling and you'll see that if you if you look up BPMN nomenclature, but essentially each swim lane is like a pool, uh, a pool lane where uh, every lane is is represents somebody different in that process right With a different role. And so you're able to see, Who's supposed to be doing what and where things may break down or where unnecessary delays uh, may pile up, based on your modeling and and your discussion with folks around. Okay, well, how do things actually work today, right? And how do you know that you need to do this next activity in the process? Uh, so yeah, start by looking at procurement processes, modeling your processes, understanding your processes. You don't need very many tools to do that. And as I was mentioning up front. It's going to help you when you eventually want to put a tool in place because you'll have a much clearer vision on what your requirements are and what you want the tool to do for you. Yeah, so that's it for question two. I think we're moving along quite nicely, James. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I think so as well. I am typing down some thoughts and questions that I, I will bring up after, which maybe will lead to questions for another episode. Uh, not ready to share them yet, but hopefully I'll be adding in some questions of my own. Here shortly. Number three, Training Lover asks, "What are your thoughts on embedded software adoption solutions?"
0: As you're you're probably sensing a general theme here around like you know tools and not not necessarily applications to execute the work, but the tools surrounding the applications, right? And so, just to define what Training Lover here is asking us about, so an embedded software adoption solution is something that will essentially lie on top of an existing application uh, and guide you through the process or at least that's how I, I view it right So if I'm in an application such as uh, ARIba, NetSweep, Coupa, Ivalua, what have you and I'm you know I need to create a purchase requisition, I could turn on this uh, adoption solution. That's a, that would be embedded on top of, of the application. And so as a user, I wouldn't even know that it's another application. And sort of like a guided tour, when you come onto a website for the first time or go into a tool for the first time, it would say, hey, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to create a requisition. Okay, well, here's the field where you need to input the description of what you want here's the field where you need to attach your quote here's the field where you need to put your business unit information etc and it guides you through the process instead of you having to look at the screen as a user and and figure it out yourself or use a work instruction in parallel as i was referring to earlier right so there's a number of solutions out there I, I i find the concept is very interesting uh has a lot of potential but unfortunately I haven't seen flawless execution just yet right so the solutions that come to mind are uh, enable now uh, walk me um, those types of solutions where you you need to go and you need to configure them essentially to, to, for the different steps that you want the the walkthrough to to uh, to say to the user right so it comes back to what I was just saying in the previous question where you won't be able to get the benefit from one of those solutions until you've defined your processes and you know exactly what you're expecting the steps to be. And you're then able to configure that, that uh, software adoption solution to give the steps uh, to the user that's coming on screen. And then I think there's technical limitations with some of these tools around like supporting different types of applications. So if you have an ERP system that's installed on premise on a server in your business but you're also using uh, a software as a service solution that's in the cloud and you've got a syst- you know a process that um, that requires the user to, to toggle between these two systems. That's where I've seen these types of solutions have a harder time um, because they're yeah they're having to navigate cross application. So haven't had a whole ton of experience with them. I like the concept. I don't know that the the execution is flawless or that the the installation is is very easy, um, but definitely you know do do research if that's something that's of interest to you uh, a bit further research, and so we'll um, on that one we'll go to question number four.
1: Abe asks, how can I best leverage Chat GPT to help me with Excel?
0: So this was less of a of a procurement question, but I decided to take it on anyway, because it's sort of in the theme of our how to use office tools uh, that are re- readily available to us to, to get better outcomes out of our procurement processes. And uh, I mean, ChatGPT is is essentially all we can hear about these days, uh, for better, for worse. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd give at least my take on it. Um, and then, you know, with, the, with Excel, right? So it gives us a concrete example. Uh, so for those of you that haven't heard about chat gpt and have been living under a rock uh it's it's a uh large language model uh, of artificial intelligence that essentially can have a a conversation with you right so think of like a chat bot on steroids uh in the sense that you can ask it uh, pretty much anything and, and it'll um it'll get the information from its large database so i believe they had a large portion of the internet in the database for ChatGPT until 2001 at least in ChatGPT version 3 or 3.5 but there's since been a new release and I haven't been following uh that much um but the concept remains the same right like you're you're essentially having a conversation in natural language with uh ChatGPT and it comes back to you with uh with answers and does a surprisingly good job uh to to have used it so and there are strengths and weaknesses Uh, it does come back with false information a lot of the time so you can't take the answers at face value uh, and you need to you know ask for sources if you're looking for a given a specific set of information and um, yeah it stops at 2021 for the time being and it also doesn't doesn't know a lot of things about you know what's not on in its database right so um, so definitely a new a nascent field, uh, at least from a, a standpoint of figuring out how to best use it in uh, our procurement organizations and for software vendors to, to figure out the best use cases to use it in their software so that you could eventually benefit from it as a procurement organization being one of their customers. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting tool to be, to be looking at. Uh, to get to Abay's question more specifically, one of the things that that I've tested it for and it does a pretty good job is uh, Excel formulas. Right, so say you have a, a very complex use case in Excel where you have a table with multiple columns and you know VLOOKUP isn't cutting it. Uh, you know it's not a simple a simple uh, formula that that you can figure out right away one of the things that you can do with chat gpt is is with a very high quality question which is the key ask it uh, give it the context of what you're trying to do in excel what you're trying to solve for and it will come back with a suggestion of a formula to use so for example if i say hey i have in uh, s- starting at cell a1 in my column a i have a list of products and in my column b i have a list of geographies and in my column c i have a list of prices and i want to be able to do x with them Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'd like to see that result in column d how do you suggest that i build my excel formula to get that desired result and then poof five seconds later you'll have you know use x formula and here's the the values that you need to to input in that formula to, to get the desired result, and then you kind of you kind of interact with it. Uh, so you'll try the formula out, it might not give you the exact result that you want, then you can come back and say, hey, you know, it gave me this error, or uh, it did, the, you know, it had this result instead of that result, and so I think we need to modify it, and then will you know, GPT is pretty good about understanding the error and, and proposing something new, right? So, so you you interact with it and you learn as well uh, as uh, as you're working through the problem with ChatGPT. And so it's a, it's see it kind of like as a, an executive assistant, right? Someone that you can you can pull on on their knowledge and they might be right, they might be wrong, and you need to exert critical judgment on the answers that are given to you but it, it does bring additional information into your thought process and eventually gets you to the solution much faster than if you had done it on on your own right so the alternative is is what we know and love which is going to google and and parsing through the information yourself right so i just see that as a an information parser or some you know something that's that that aids you in in that uh, process so that's how i would apply it to excel i think for procurement we're still looking at you know, interesting use cases to, to use for it. There is a dark side to ChatGPT as well, which is the the fact that um, in its content moderation uh, strategy to make sure that you know ChatGPT is polite and not swearing at you and not giving you uh, results that are um, uh, that are explicit. Uh, they've subcontracted a lot of the work of doing that to uh, developing countries and and so you've had a lot of people in those countries exposed to a lot of explicit material whether it be violence related sexual etc to to moderate that content and to to teach jet gpt that that's not acceptable content to give back to the users uh, and those people were uh, as 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 uh, or were severely as as i evaluated underpaid for what they did and uh, a lot of people had had trouble with um, uh, had trouble with the experience, right, from a mental health standpoint. So you got to be careful as well with those types of technologies, like you know how we're using them and making sure we're we're doing our due diligence to to make it full circle with the first question of the episode. Uh, to make sure that it's aligned with with our company values, right? How that technology is running and and how it was put together. Um, uh, but in more generally speaking, I think large language model AIs are are uh, within our grasp uh, clearly uh, as a society and and we can do uh, some some great things going forward with it. So it's just a matter of brainstorming that within your procurement organization and starting to dabble uh, to see what the, the potential is. So I've rambled on, uh, rambled on long enough today, James, I think. Uh, what do you think?
1: I think that was a lot of good information. I did jot down some notes that I'll go over with you at another time. Uh, maybe I have to cultivate some questions of my own to add to the conversation. As all of you may have put together, I don't have a huge foundation of knowledge here, so I feel like I'm just scrambling to keep up. And some of this does go right over my head, but uh, that's why I'm taking notes and trying to ask questions. Yeah.
0: And someone's got to have the looks around here. So, I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it.
0: So thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope uh, the answers to the questions were of value that you can take s- some of these things and start implementing them in your departments uh, today. Yeah, And please submit your questions on LinkedIn, uh, on any of the channels as well that I have on, on uh, my website, for pureprocurement.ca and uh, we'll see you for another episode shortly. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to Pure Procurement, hosted by yours truly, Joel de Metz. I hope you took something away from today's episode to help you keep fighting the good fight. If you have any comments or questions, you can stop by my website at pureprocurement.ca. There's a ton of procurement-related articles and resources there for you as well. If you like what you see, I'd love to count you as a subscriber to my monthly newsletter. Every month, I bring you the top five pieces of source-to-pay content I came across that month. All you need to do is to click the big button on the top right of the homepage. That's it. Thanks again for listening to pre Procurement. Until next time.